Welcome once again to our Diversity is Strength conversations brought to you by the CFL and Sirius XM Canada Talks Channel 167. This is actually our fifth Diversity Strength conversation where we do exactly that. We talk about sport through the lens of diversity and how it makes all of us in Canada stronger. Certainly, you can't have that broad conversation about sport and about the history of the diversity in our country, both pro and con, without spending time to reflect uh, and acknowledge uh, the Indigenous peoples, the first inhabitants of our land. And that is the hope and the goal for National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which is not really a civic holiday. It's a day for reflection, for understanding, for learning. And we hope that this conversation over you know, just under the next hour will be able to do that. And we have no better people uh, to help us do that uh, who uh, join us taking some time off from doing that in their everyday li- lives all the time. Uh, first, we have Kevin T. Hart, who is the CEO of Indigenous Football Canada, former regional chief of the Assembly of First Nations for Manitoba, someone definitely who can speak uh, to these issues, someone who um, has been speaking about them you know, for a long time, which has them as the inductee in 2020 for Football Manitoba's Hall of Fame, the first ever Indigenous inductee. Kevin, thanks so much for joining. Good morning. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, the pleasure is ours and joining as well. Um, we have someone who in the role in football, you know, probably doesn't necessarily want to be part of the story because um, they want to be in the background, making sure that the focus is on the players, but we're going to put the spotlight and the focus, focus on him today. And that's Brian Grupolo, who is a field judge, he's a CFL official, but also a police officer in uh, Winnipeg for nearly 30 years. And specifically, you know, we should note in Winnipeg, leading the Indigenous community uh, with a great initiative like the Bear Clan Patrol, which we'll get into in great depth later. Brian, thank you for joining. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity as, as well. And last but certainly not least, uh, we have Amy Shipley, who is the sport lead for SAC Sport, participation in sport, uh, joining. And, and, you know, we'd love to hear Amy's perspective as well and see, you know, how we all can help. Uh, Amy, thank you for joining. Thank you for the invitation. And, and maybe, Amy, we'll, we'll, we'll start with you before we broaden the conversation. And the term truth and reconciliation is used, you know, somewhat in lockstep with those two words. But I think it's actually important to separate them because you can't really make steps toward reconciliation until you find some truth, find a common set of uh, facts. For you, in in the work that you're doing and the experience that you have, what does that journey towards truth, whether in sport, but really when we're talking about, you know, uh, our Indigenous communities, both past and present, what does that look like? Well, I think it's important to gain an understanding of the history of our country and the things that happened within our country and how the relationships and the policies and all those types of things affected the Indigenous communities within our country. And, you know, 
you said it exactly right, is that you can't get to reconciliation without the truth. So we need to know the truth of what's happened in our country and how that's affected the folks around us. And I think in terms of sport, it's equally as important to understand the truth of how Indigenous people have engaged with sport and what that experience has been like so that we can move forward and be a more inclusive system. Great plan. I turn to you, Kevin. Can you give us a little bit of the history of how Indigenous people have engaged in sport, how important sport and being active is in Indigenous cultures? And, you know, as I was listening to Amy talk and, and, and hear her talk about the importance of truth, I wonder, given your experience, have there been times when, when people try to reject the truth? Um, and, and does that make these conversations a little bit more difficult to start from ground zero? I think when we talk about reconciliation and sport in Canada, per se, right now, and the hard realities and truths that are now surfacing, the, uh, the TRC report, we have a final report on missing the unmarked graves are certainly, I think, an eye-opener for all Canadians right now to acknowledge that indeed there was a genocide that occurred here in Canada with the Indigenous people. I think that breaking down those barriers, when we talk about reconciliation and sport moving forward, there's a larger picture that we have to look at. We have to look at the lack of infrastructure, for example, in our First Nation and Indigenous communities, where some First Nations don't even have a baseball field, let alone a football field, or a high school, per se. Uh, these Indigenous children are being shipped off to urban centers to attend high school, and in unfortunate circumstances, uh, some of these these young ones are going missing. They're being murdered. We see the social barriers and the conditions that are affecting Indigenous people across this country each and every day. I think that when we talk about reconciliation forward, that uh, the growth and the potential of Indigenous football in Canada uh, especially in recent years, if you look at it, Indigenous football has been growing. It's a rem on a remarkable trajectory, I think, with the passionate young athletes from various Indigenous communities. We have to remember there's 635 First Nations in Canada and hundreds of other Métis communities. We have Northern and Inuit uh, communities that are very remote as well. It's just not about playing football when we look at that. It's about, you know, finding a path to success and empowerment and path forward at the same time. I think that's what we're looking at in the aspect when we look at these young Indigenous athletes and the potential that they have, especially the untapped potential with uh, the opportunity to be uh, elite athletes in elite programs. And I think that football is going to be a catalyst to uh, 
spread across this country because we can teach both flag football in northern and remote communities, and we can teach taco programs in both urban centers, as well as some of the larger First Nations that are uh, adjacent to municipalities and urban centers as well. So I think when we look at it um, on the path forward, yes, we have to embrace the historical wrongs that have occurred to Indigenous people in Canada. We have to educate people moving forward. But at the same time, uh, we, we need to work together. We need to collaborate together in order to uh, break down these barriers further for Indigenous boys and girls in this country. I love the fact that you not only you know talked about uh, some of the symptoms, but you spoke on you know some of the root causes. And it is stark when you hear you say it: six hundred thirty-five different um, indigenous communities. Brian, you know, when you look at uh, your work, um, you know, whether it's uh, policing or just uh, in community, um, you know, and sometimes when we're having these conversations, we like to paint with a broad brush, but you know. Not every Indigenous uh, community, not every reserve is a monolith. There are some unique challenges in different situations. Uh, uh, how do you look to solve some of the issues that Kevin uh, raised, knowing that um, there is some disparity and diversity within uh, communities in Indigenous Canada? You know, you, you raise a good point, and, and both Amy and, and Kevin uh, talked um, very eloquently about about the the history. Um, there's opportunities for for you know, regardless if they're uncomfortable conversations for people or not. But but education and uh, the opportunity to have these conversations are critically important. Uh, otherwise, people will not be educated and be uninformed. To to give youth an opportunity to engage in sport is uh, critically important. It was critically important in my growing up. Uh, it was an opportunity for me to engage in sport and participate. Um, although uh, not able to be financially able sometimes to play some sports, um, having the ability and the support systems with the school and my parents to, to allow me to go out and participate and, and play the sports I wanted to were, uh, were very impactful in my upbringing and, uh, and relationships with my friends and the community as well. So to, to watch and, and to see highlights for the things that Kevin did this summer with uh, Indigenous girls football was amazing to, uh, to follow it on social media and to see what was going on, to, to see the, you know, you talked about how sport is, is important to Indigenous people. Uh, lacrosse, the athletes that play, the Indigenous athletes that play lacrosse are, are second to none. They're fantastic and it's amazing to watch them play. Um, locally here, you have a lot of people that play hockey and baseball. Uh, you know, during the summer, it's it's the I enjoy watching the indigenous teams because they're they're gifted athletes, and and one could only think that if they had more opportunity, how far could they have gone? And and I think that's what's uh, what's missing is what's is uh, already been talked about the infrastructure and the opportunities for our youth to engage, uh, to have better opportunities to to do the things they want to do, and I think that's important. Kevin Bryan just spoke about it. You know, you led the creation of the um, women's under 18 tackle uh, team in the football nationals, you know, representing um, as an indigenous team. What was that process like and, and why you know, was that something that you felt was critical to do at this time? 
Well, it was, it was a process that took many years uh, of work. It started back in 2018 with uh, introductions with myself and the president of Football Canada, Jim Mullen. Uh, he invited me on their diversity task force that they created at the time. And in uh, June of 2021, a report, the final report was released from the diversity task force. This diversity task force was uh, made up of uh, people from every walks of life, whether you were a CFL player, both current and past. We had people that represented officials, uh, officiating, coaching at different levels. We had people from uh, the different levels of the BIPOC community, for example, as well. And went, in, went into developing this diversity task force report. It talked about inclusion, about one of the most important things. And like I said, when I go back and we look at the TRC calls uh, to action, for example, it talks about uh, sports, uh, diversity, uh, inclusion of women. And uh, so back in October of 2022, uh, Football Canada and us, as we were just in the infancy stage of developing Indigenous Football Canada, we started having a very serious conversation about establishing the first ever national Indigenous football team to compete at the Canada Cup. Now, at the time, we did not know until around February that it was going to be the women's U18 that were going to break down these barriers and make history because the U18 women's national Indigenous tackle football team was the first national Indigenous team ever in Canadian sport to compete at that level with the other provinces and territories. That can't be said in uh, soccer or baseball or hockey. So the significance of the barrier that was broken down by our Indigenous women for the creation of this national team that competed at this year's Canada Cup in Ottawa was very significant, very historic. Uh, it's going to go down in history now in years to come. You know, years from now when I'm long gone, people are going to look back and say, you know, that's the first team that ever did it. And it's going to be these young women that are going to pave the way for other teams that come, whether it's the, say, for example, a senior women's Indigenous team or the U18 boys Indigenous team or any U16 program or whatever that comes on. That's going to be a national program. These girls broke down barriers that, you know, you can't even imagine because... Indigenous women in this country face so many barriers and stereotypes. It's heartbreaking. And to empower these young women and to give them this opportunity is 
something that's very emotional for me because it's so historic because I see the realities that these young girls come from each and every day. And if some of you knew those realities, you would lift up these girls and applaud their successes of even being able to be on that field with the national team. I don't want to just brush by that. I actually want to spend some time there. You spoke about uh, you know, some of the stereotypes that these young girls face and you know, some of their realities. I would love for you to speak on exactly you know what those are for our listeners who, who don't know. I, I've always felt, you know, when you look at the um, Highway of Tears and, you know, the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, you know, if that really happened to anybody else, it would be, um, you know, a, a national crisis. But yet it's just something that sadly we've, we've grown accustomed to. You've seen these young women and what the ability to play sport has done in their lives. What are some of those uh, stereotypes that they have to overcome? Well, there's lots of things that they over have to overcome. For one, uh, the barrier of them being a woman, uh, let alone the barrier of them being Indigenous. We have to look at the uh, the harsh realities that are facing First Nation and Indigenous girls today. If we look at the final report of uh, the National Inquiry, there's many recommendations in that report that talk about the very symptoms that are occurring in Canada when we talk about these stereotypes. Yes, one of them definitely has to be racist. Yes, we have to talk about that elephant. Indigenous women face racism each and every day out there in society. They face many labels and such. We've tried to work with our girls to empower them. And that leadership and mentorship is such a critical component of, of what we do with Indigenous Football Canada with these girls. And that uh, as we develop that program, and you know, we want to ensure that we show Canadians, you know, the strength in our women because, you know, those are our life givers for us in our teachings and such. You know, we're taught that our, our mothers carry us for nine moons and that uh, when everybody thinks about, you know, why are these women across the country fighting for the land and water? Or our teachings are told is that, you know, that water comes before you're born. You know, everybody talks about that water that the, a woman releases before they, they go into their birthing site. You know, those are very sacred teachings that are taught to us as Indigenous people, more importantly, to our Indigenous women, and that our Indigenous women are uh, held and treated as, as sacred beings because they're life givers. So it gives the significance of that as well as the uh, what has happened, you know, um, it's if you look at history. Unfortunately, they destruct. They tried to destroy our people and our nations by taking away our children and, and destroying our women. And 
it's it's proven fact. You can see that if you look at the historical context of what's happened in this country with the history of the Indian residential school and as well as what's happened with our women, them going missing and them being murdered. I mean, if you look in my region right now, there's a long battle with our, our leadership and uh, and the provincial government and the municipal government over searching a landfill for our loved ones that are there. And we know that they're there, but there's no resources there to go and do that search to, to bring them home. And so we know that has left a very bitter taste in the family as well as the indigenous leaders and for us as people, you know, it just makes us think, you know, this is what society thinks of us as First Nation indigenous people. This is how we're commonly treated. So those are the realities that we're facing each and every day, including all those social barriers and all the other things of policy and legislation and other laws that have been implemented the last since contact, I guess if you want to say it in a very short form. <laughs> well, I, I, it's uh, it's important to say for people to to understand, to hear, um, and to constantly hear, so that they don't forget. I think it gives us a good place to to take a break and take a breath, but I also think thinks it's a good place for us to pivot and uh, you know potentially talk. Uh, to Brian, uh, to you about, you know, where are we in terms of um, missing and murdered Indigenous women? And are, are we getting you know any better uh, in that realm, um, uh, both locally for you, but across the country? And then also, Amy, um, you know, in terms of retention for young women in sport, Indigenous and otherwise, and, and what does that look like? And more importantly, why is that important? We'll get into those things and much more after this break. You are listening to the Diversity Strength Conversation brought to you by the CFL and Sirius XM Canada Talks, Channel 167. Thanks so much for sticking with us here on Sirius XM channel 167. These are our diversity is strength conversations brought to you by the CFL. And, you know, if you've been with us and listening, uh, certainly lots of strength in the words uh, that we hear from all of our panelists um, and, and the resilience we hear in the candor uh, in, in what was shared uh, you know, by Kevin and, you know, I, I passed the proverbial microphone to you, Brian, because I wonder, you know, where we are in terms of a progress report uh, to think not only in sports, but in life, it's good to underscore so people know exactly what we're talking about, you know, what the situation is. And so in terms of the missing and murdered indigenous women and really the plight of indigenous women more broadly, um, you know, what are, are you seeing? How are we doing, whether it's locally um, around you or across the country, um, at getting in a much more optimal uh, position for, you know, some of the real heinous um, scenarios that Indigenous women have found themselves in in our country historically? There's always room for improvement. Uh, I don't think anybody has successfully um, nailed down the, the way to address this problem. 
there's a lot of socio-economical problems that are associated with it. Um, to to say there's room for improvement to, would be an understatement. Uh, I don't think anybody on the panel today is going to say uh, we're we're hitting the mark. There's room for improvement for sure, and and there's opportunities to work with uh, with governments as well as First Nations uh, chiefs, council, as well as membership to to deal with and address those problems and to figure out better solutions working to go forward. Uh, there's always an opportunity for for improvement and and education. Um, you know, I'll say it over and over. There's opportunities for, for you know, difficult conversations that need to be had to improve the education on on both sides. Um, I think that's critically important. Um, you know, there's there's tons of opportunity to to engage and sit down and, and listen to both sides of the the conversation. Uh, I can't speak for the for the service, um, you know, because that that's not my position. Um, my position is uh, with the community relations unit to to deal with and engage with uh, indigenous communities throughout the city, um, through through the, um, the the local chiefs and and the um, the, um, the the groups that uh, are out um, seeking to rally support for for their family, uh, for their communities. Um, you know, that's come a long way. Uh, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. There, could there be more Indigenous officers? Yes, there could. People are more comfortable when they're dealing with uh, with people that can speak some of their language uh, and uh, and have a connection to the community. Uh, that's important. There's lots of ways that, that we could be improving. It's um, <clears throat> pardon me. It's just a way to get to get people to sit down at the table to, to have those conversations. Sports a great opportunity to bring things forward, uh, like Kevin did. Um, you know that that was a great uh, um, national program that started. Um, you know, there's opportunities for us to sit down collectively as well and, and discuss other aspects of it. The, the calls for action, uh, truth and reconciliation. There's, you know, we're at the end of the month. We're, you know, there will be another large uh, march and uh, and and rally through the streets of Winnipeg. Um, you know, that's fully supported by the organization and. And they come out and, and try to, to help out whoever we can to, to make sure it's a peaceful event. Um, those are important um, events that are happening. Uh, you know, even even the PRC game here in, uh, at the end of the month again. You know, last year that game, to, to go to that game, to announce the penalties in Ojibwe, to, to see the, the number of people wearing orange in the crowd, the Indigenous people in the crowd that were brought in from, from communities to witness a, a CFL game. Those are those are impactful moments, and and we need more of those impactful moments. We don't need to shy away from awkward conversations. We should be engaging more in them, uh, and and having having the infrastructure or or the needs through government, through all levels of government, to to bring more heightened awareness to what's going on in the communities uh, is critically important as well. Well, I want to follow up on a couple of things there because last year. We heard from you before the TRC game. I wonder what was the reaction and the response afterwards, um, and, and what was that? What was that like for you? And in terms of those conversations with the various stakeholders that you mentioned, have you found people are receptive to having those difficult conversations? And if not, why? You know, I'll, I'll go with the with the second question first. I think people are receptive to those conversations, but it's it's what you do with it after that. 
like if you can sit and talk all day, but but unless you're willing to make those steps to move forward to make things better, you know, we're just sitting there and talking. We need to actually actively engage and find ways to make improvements to to listen to the stakeholders to to get their perspective and understanding, and then find ways to move forward collectively. Um, and that needs to come from all levels of government and needs to come from everybody. And and it could be something as simple as a as a website with a missing persons page. Uh, you know, we're doing more to to actively do that. Uh, in speaking with uh, Angela Klassen from the Bear Clan this morning, she's the coordinator that organizes the the missing persons page. She does amazing work with that, and and she should be the organization should be commended for that work. To the to the first question, I, I thought I was just announcing penalties in, in Ojibwe because I I had seen the the officials uh, or the game that was done in uh, in the National Hockey League in Crete. And I thought it was an, a unique opportunity to to announce some penalties in Ojibwe um, because I've been taking lessons for a while and and it was it was well received by the by the league and it was supported um, and it was pushed forward. So now now the difficult part is going out and actually standing on the field and and translating English to Ojibwe and uh, and being able to, to you know to to do that without the support of some of my my relatives to translate uh, the language. That would have never been possible. Like to to take to take some penalties and you know to you know touchdown Dago Shin. You know to 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 be able to do that uh, in front of thirty thousand people uh, was was emotionally uh, uh, impactful for me. To to have the feedback um, from people in the community and and to get messages. Uh, from from people I don't know to say it was it was impactful to them and it was emotional for them to to hear uh, an indigenous language being announced in, during a Canadian football game uh, was more than I ever thought it would be. Um, as a result of that, you know, actually as soon as we're done this, I'm driving to Minneapolis to be inducted into the North American Indigenous Athletic Association's Hall of Fame. They're having a luncheon, so you know, there's a lot of things that have happened because of it, and and. You know, I can I can only thank football for it, and you know, wanting to learn more of my mom's language or, or language my relatives speak was important to me because you know uh, I should have learned it a long time ago, and it should have never been taken away. The opportunity should never have been taken away from me, and and unfortunately it was. And, and I'm trying to recapture that language, trying to recapture more of my culture by engaging in in more ceremonies and doing things. I sun dance, I, I go to sweat lodges, I smudge, I, I do a number of things, but. To be able to to interact and talk to people about football and to have them say it was impactful for them, that's a very meaningful thing, and, and I'm looking forward to doing it again this year. Uh, I've learned a couple more penalties that hopefully I'll be able to announce. Uh, and 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 again, that that overwhelming uh, emotional outpour by by people in the crowd by wearing orange and showing some support and to see that whole crowd uh, is uh, was was beyond impactful for me, and, and it's something I'll remember. Forever. Well, you know, Brian, it's the only time I was excited to see a flag on the field because uh, normally uh, I, I roll my eyes when I see a penalty has been called. Uh, Kevin, you heard what it meant for Brian in real time. I wonder uh, what it meant for you and what it meant for you know some of the young football players uh, that would have been watching that game. I remember watching that game and I remember watching Brian when he called a penalty and he said in a Ojibwe, you know, it, it gave everybody a sense of pride that was there in in the stands. And this is for myself and everybody that was 
that were in the stands at the time. And to see, I guess you would say, you call it like a little bit of a sea of orange in the stands. You'd see different sections of the stadium there at IG Field just full of hundreds of people dressed in, in, in orange shirts. And, and it really stood out in some of the, the corners and, and some of the sections there at IG Field. And to see all those kids and to hear the story of some of them, you know, it being the first time in the city, let alone some of them being it, the first time them flying out of their northern remote First Nation community in northern Manitoba to come to Winnipeg to attend a, a football game for the first time. And, and to be there to watch a Blue Bomber game, who at the time they were the defending Grey Cup champions. So the atmosphere in IG Field is just simply amazing. And you, you could just see it with uh, Winnipeg having such a large Indigenous population that the Indigenous population was well represented that day at that football game, you know, it goes to, you know, people like Brian who broke down those barriers as a CFL official, as well as, uh, you know, credit needs to be given to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as well as the people that they work with in the community to get all those First Nation children to that No question. You know, Amy, when Kevin was talking earlier about, uh, you know, the importance of sport, uh, for Indigenous girls and, and girls more broadly, you know, I, I'd love for you to, you know, follow up on that. You know, given you know some of the work that you have done and what you've seen with SAS Sport, when we talk about the retention and the access uh, for young girls, specifically Indigenous girls, to be able to play sport. Um, what are some of the threats to it? What can we do uh, to make it a little bit more easy? And why is it important, not just for that individual young girl, but you know, for us as a country? I think that the most important thing to recall when we talk about engagement, retention, uh, getting Indigenous women into spaces, is the principle of nothing about us without us. And really what that says is if, you know, we want to look at engaging more women, it's important to ask women and to invite women to the table and to listen to their voice. Uh, You know, as Indigenous women, we have solutions and we need to be invited into spaces in order to share those solutions and be part of, you know, that engagement process. And not just as, you know, that token women sitting around a table. You need to really bring people in. If you're looking to do programming for Indigenous kids or for, you know, new Canadians, whoever it is, really using that principle about, you know, nothing about us without us is a good way forward. You need to talk to people and find out what their needs are if you want to work with them and engage with them. The culture or the infrastructure from a colonial mindset, how do you create structure and infrastructure and programs that make sense uh, for Indigenous uh, communities specifically? Go and talk to that community. Find out 
what they want to do, how things will work for them, and invite people. You know, we've heard time and time again from various stakeholders, uh, many, many different groups, is that people need to know that opportunities are for them. It's not just enough to create your poster or put on your website that there's a program available or you're starting a new league or whatever it is. You need to be intentional about it. And phone people, talk to people. The other thing too is when we look at why aren't more individuals involved in certain programs, you need to look and see, you know, how accessible those programs are or how easy it is to get involved. You know, a lot of the things that we do now in sport go through the internet, on our websites, we have online registration forms, you know, you hook up your credit card, it's nice and easy. And, you know, coming from a point of privilege where everybody has access to internet, everybody has a home computer, everybody has a credit card. Sure, that's a nice and easy process. But that's not the reality for many, many Canadians. If we want to look at diversifying who's coming to the field, we need to look at how easy it is for them to get to that field. And so things like having a phone number for people to call to get registered. You know, if you think about it and think about, you know, new Canadians coming into our country, some folks may, English may be their second language. And if I thought about moving to a place where their language wasn't my first language, it would be very difficult to navigate a website all in a foreign language. So just having somebody who can pick up that phone and walk a person through a process can be very, very meaningful. And it's those types of things that we often forget about in our busy lives and trying to automate all of our processes. We need to be intentional, we need to be welcoming, and we need to be visible. Yeah, and it's a great point. I mean, those are the type of things that are blind spots often because they don't impact you, they don't change your daily life. Uh, I love that. I want to make sure that everyone uh, certainly got that, you know, uh, nothing about us without us. Correct. Yes. yes. And I think, correct. I think that's one that many of our listeners will probably be writing down and, 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 you know, highlighting as they listen to this. I think that's a good spot to, to take a break, to give people the time to take some notes based off of, you know, what you just said, because it really is important. And when we come back, I'd love to learn about your individual journeys in sport because because of the ability of sport you all have had the ability to change many lives and and had great lives yourself so luckily for all of us you guys are products of uh, being able to have a relationship with sport and, and so I, I think that would help underscore for people why it is so important that we make that more common uh, for Canadians, specifically uh, young Indigenous Canadians. We'll talk about that and much more after this break. You are listening to Cirrix XM, Canada Talks Channel 167. These are the Diversity is Strength Conversations brought to you by CFL. Welcome back to our fifth diversity is strength conversation brought to you by the CFL and, you know, just some housekeeping before we bring it home. 
Uh, if you want more of this very conversation, cfl.ca slash DIS is where you can find more content surrounding the CFL's Diversity of Strength Initiative and continue to listen here on Sirius XM Canada Talks channel 167. Right now, I want to talk about your personal experiences and journeys in sport. Uh, you, Amy, given the work that you do, uh, you, you have to really have a core understanding of sport and its culture. And I imagine a core love for it because the work that you do is not easy. Uh, what is uh, your experience with sport? How did you get to a place where this is, you know, what you wanted, not just to be an occupation, but more of a vocation for you? I fell into sport quite accidentally, if truth be told. Um, I graduated from university with a master's in philosophy. And uh, <laughs> there happened to be a job posting about, uh, at the time, the term was Aboriginal, but it was the Aboriginal Coaches and Officials Program Coordinator. And I thought, hmm, yeah, you know, I think I could do that job. So I applied, and um, that was my first job out of university. It was with Sask Sport, and I haven't left. So some 15-odd years later, I'm still working in sports, still working at trying to do the exact same thing I started out doing in this province is trying to help facilitate more individuals getting access to sport uh, than were previously. And something that we're still working on, still striving towards, but um, I think in the latter years here, we've learned a lot from all of our previous trials and uh, fumbles, if you will, in getting towards our goal point. And, you know, we're still not at a point where I would say that our system is completely inclusive. You know, it takes a lot of work and communities and priorities are always shifting. And being able to be responsive to the needs of the community is one thing that I think we've learned to put at the forefront and really trying to allow communities to tell us what is needed and allow communities to guide the process forward for themselves. I think when we first got started in this work, and Sask Sport has really been working towards increasing diversity within our system for a very, very long time. But when we first got started, it was, you know, at a place of infancy in understanding the community and learning to work with communities. So I think. You know, we had the idea that we were going to create these programs, we were going to have them available, and then everybody was going to beat down our door to get involved. And while that didn't happen, uh, surprise, surprise, it's, you know, we had really looked at a lot of the programming from our own perspectives or what has always worked in our system. And what we came to find out through a lot of trial and error is that, there isn't just one way of doing business or of delivering a program or having a sports uh, team, whatever it is. There are plenty of different ways to make that happen. And there's validity in various different ways. And if you will, drawing from kind of the title of your podcast here, 
there is strength in diversity and having numerous different perspectives, different ways of doing things has grown our system, has made our system stronger and is allowing us to continue to engage with communities in a good way. We're going to put you on the spot here and ask you in those 15 years, what have you learned about the indigenous people in Canada that you potentially did not know or maybe didn't appreciate? And uh, at the same time, what have you learned about our sporting structure in Canada that you didn't know? Well, I, I am a member of the Pegasus First Nation. I do reside and live in Saskatoon. I've lived in Saskatoon my entire life. And in through, you know, my various different roles, um, I've certainly come to a greater understanding of my own background and my own culture, which has been a learning process, which has been um, at times wonderful, at times not wonderful. Um, And I think that as I've continued on in my role and continue working with communities, the greatest lesson has been just to always uh, keep my ears open and really listen to what people are telling me and try to work from a place of understanding. It's a good lesson for all of us. Kevin, I see you nodding your head. I wonder, you know, what are some of the lessons that you learned in your journey from sport experiences, from some of the leaders that you had to, you know, some of the potential teammates that you may have had to people now that you lead, um, what has, has sport given you? Well, I think if it wasn't for the sport of football, there would have been a regional chief, Kevin Hart, for sure. Um, I, like many, uh, indigenous youth at the time, you know, growing up in, in Winnipeg, I, came from a First Nation home that was, uh, you know, we had lack of infrastructure there, so we had to get shipped off to the city to go to high school. Uh, I was introduced to the sport of football in high school, and I seemed to excel at it right away, right from my rookie year of high school onward. Uh, I have to acknowledge people like uh, Coach K and Daniel McIntyre, who actually was just inducted into the Hall of Fame this past year. So my high school football coach was inducted into the Manitoba Football Hall of Fame this year, and I actually beat him by three years. So go figure with Um, In my junior career, you know, I had great coaches. I had some great BIPOC coaches that, you know, inspired me with their stories and their humble beginnings. You know, people like uh, Dave Duncan, Don Burrell, and uh, people like the current head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks, Bob Dice. I remember him when he was a coach both with the Hawkeyes and with the University of Manitoba Bisons because I was a, a Bison recruit. And so, you know, that time in sport taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself and those barriers that we had to break down because at the time I was 
how do you say, teetering on the fences in Indigenous youth. I could have gone the way of uh, becoming a criminal or else, you know, making it. And I was one of those ones that made it. Now, how many other people out there have never had that opportunity that if they were just, you know, given that hand up and, you know, given that second, third chance that they would have done remarkable things afterwards. You know, that's what I have to say that the sport of football given me. I wouldn't have been able to achieve the things that I've done, both coaching as well as in my political political career, you know, I spent time working for uh, ministers in the Manitoba legislature as an Indigenous person. That broke down many, many barriers. I worked with the commissioners at the TRC during that process. So that was historic in itself, watching that process unfold across the country. Uh, I became involved in politics, like I said, uh, at a young age, at the grassroots level, because uh, my family has always been involved in politics. They've always been involved in activism, as I guess you could say, when it comes to indigenous issues, not only here in Canada, but also on the other side, what we call the medicine line in the United States. Because to us as uh, First Nation people, we don't see a border there because our relatives are just over the border sometimes, even our family members. So that in that border, we call it a medicine line. And moving forward, you know, I was part of uh, the Winnipeg Junior Football Club's last championship that was ever in Winnipeg. Uh, I had the opportunity to be a, a league all-star in the Canadian Poly. From there, I went on to a fantastic senior men's career with the Winnipeg Senior Mustangs, where we won numerous Shrine Bowl National Championships. So the sport of football has given me a lot. It's inspired a lot for me. And that comes from the coaches, like I said, somebody like Bob Dice right now, who's the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. You know, at the time, he was a great coach. He was like a big brother. He guided you. He coached you well. And at the same time, when you, when you became an elite football player or an elite athlete, you're pushed beyond your limits, right? You're pushed to a new level that... You never thought you could achieve. And those are the same things that I took in life, whether it be life teachings or even in politics. It was hard for somebody to say no to me or to close doors for me because I would try to find a way around it. You know, it's just like that sense of, uh, you know, you're on the football field fighting for every inch. You know, that's how it is for Indigenous people. Life. You know, we're fighting for every inch out there. That's the reality. Some of our relatives out there are just out there just trying to make it to next Friday. Well, that's the harsh reality that's in face. Indigenous people. 
and uh, if a lot of work needs to be done. I think that, you know, today we, we explored, you know, the profound impact of football on reconciliation in Canada. I think that uh, we see that diversity is strength, like how you've talked about it here in the title, and that, you know, through football, um, we can deliver that to these First Nation communities and Indigenous communities across the country. We can teach flag football, teach tackle programs. But football itself or the sport, they're giving the opportunity to these First Nation kids. It teaches them something. It teaches them discipline. It teaches them strength. It teaches them self-awareness. You know, it gives them self-esteem and builds them up to become prominent people in society. I think that's what football is able to give me. And in turn, you know, this is what I'm giving back now to the football community. Indigenous Football Canada is going to be a catalyst, I think, to spread the growth of football in Canada and in general North America because we have Native Americans on the U.S. side, too. You know, we need to grow the sport in those impoverished communities, too, on the other side of the country. You know, as we move forward, you know, we have to remember that football is more than just a game. It's a force that gives us positive change. It gives us a, a brighter future. You know, it's a bridge to, to reconciliation and source of inspiration i think for this country and for indigenous people as we move forward and come together because when i played football i hardly encountered racism because the only thing that mattered was the color of your jersey right because all of us like the same color blood on that field i think that's what i see when I look at football what it could do for us as Indigenous people, what could could do to break down barriers of reconciliation and what could it do for this country as a whole as we move forward to discuss and educate one another on, yes, these very difficult issues that are occurring today. But like I said, let's build that bridge to reconciliation so that we're walking side by side and in fact, that's my best advice, I think, as we move forward to talk about strength and sports and reconciliation, talk about Indigenous people. It's just like Amy said, our First Nation leaders have said that for years and years. Nothing without us. You know, don't talk about us without us. I've seen Football Canada has done exactly that. They should be lifted up and prided for that. Same thing with the CFL, and, and yes, in tune to for Series XM for you guys hosting this. It was this is spreading the word, and spreading the growth of reconciliation, and the beautiful thing that we can do. It's a simple sport such as football. Well, there's no question we want to spread the word uh, and we want to spread the representation. Uh, and, you know, last word goes to you, Brian. Uh, that's something that you've been able to do, you know, without much representation before you in officiating and we, we certainly we need more officials 
we need uh, more officials from uh, diverse backgrounds. But, you know, lastly, I, I wonder, you know, how you found yourself uh, in, in officiating and, and how you're hoping to um, keep the fountain coming in terms of uh, more young officials finding their way in the sport. And hopefully, um, as we as Kevin talks about the, the power of football for Indigenous communities and, and young Indigenous athletes, uh, how officiating could be another avenue of participation in the game as well. You know, growing up, um, I played a lot of sports growing up at soccer and, and, and football. And my high school team had a rugby uh, program. And I, I really enjoyed the rugby program a lot because a lot of my friends played. Um, I, I, you know, we had, a, we had some socioeconomical problems in, in our house as well. And I got a paper route so I could, so I could play sports, so I could take that money and, and go play soccer and, and football. And the registration didn't have to come from from the, from the household, I took care of that myself, and those opportunities gave me gave me more opportunities for for different friendships and and to meet other people from across the city and and to play and participate in sport. Um, you know, football is a unique game. Football is that game for everybody. If you're a big person, there's a spot for you to play on the line. If you're a fast person, you can be a receiver or a defensive back. Uh, you know. You can throw the ball. There's opportunities for everybody to, to play if you want to play football. Um, I think that's that's a, an understatement. They're, they're, football is inclusive. Um, if, you know, when you when you finish playing football, like Kevin, Kevin took an opportunity to to go into a role where he can develop football programs. Um, I was I was pushed and and uh, you know literally harassed by one of my best friends to come and join the, the football league uh, officials. Um, for two years, it, it took him to convince me to become a football official. When I finally did, I, I enjoyed it because, because it was an opportunity to give something back to football that football gave me. So to go out and actually do little kids' games and, and to do all of those things, working up to, to youth sport level, and then unfortunately, um, no, fortunately, but unfortunately for, for football, we had three young kids that were going to be age of two. So the time commitment became a lot. So... I was about to quit when, when the CFL called and, and it was supposed to just be a meeting to, uh, for future considerations. But I, I talked myself into a job after an hour long conversation. And, you know, I've probably told this before, but the guy that left the room before me, he's a university professor who showed up in a three piece suit. I showed up in jeans, a Harley Davidson shirt. My hair was a little longer than now. I had a bigger goatee. Uh, I just thought I was going to meet somebody. I didn't realize it was a job interview and I, I must have done well because I, I started my football career with the CFL then. Football has given me opportunities to travel across Canada, to, to do games in every city, to meet people from diverse backgrounds. Uh, I went to the largest culturally diverse high school in Winnipeg, Sisler High School. Uh, I was friends with everybody. Didn't matter what color you were. Didn't matter what uh, race, religion, or, or background you came from. Everybody in the school got along with, with everybody. And, and that, that's a great thing. That, that more people should be um, have the opportunity to do, uh, to understand different cultures and, and different groups and to have them understand mine uh, has become a lifelong friendship with, uh, with many people. To, to be given the opportunity as a little kid to play football and play catch, and, you know, everybody does that playing football in, in a backyard. I'm, oh, we're going to win the Great Cup. This is the game-winning touchdown. Throw me the ball. I make the catch. Touchdown. We win. It's fantastic. To, to, to go from that, being a little kid, to, 
uh, to officiating five great cups in the Canadian Football League uh, as an as an Indigenous man is 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 amazing. Nobody would have predicted that story growing up. I certainly wouldn't have. Uh, but I look at football as the opportunity to, to give back, and and it's it's helped me in so many different ways. It's helped me to to bring other other things forward, like speaking Ojibwe and, and being a welcome or you know asked to attend these podcasts. And diversity in sport is probably one of the greatest programs that the CFL did when they launched the T-shirts. Everybody wanted one. It was the talk of the city. Everywhere you went, people would see you wearing the diversity of sport shirt or diversity is strength. And, and that was the conversation starter. And we need more of those type of initiatives. And, and I commend the league for doing them. Uh, you know, the Canadian Football League supports amateur sports and, and helps develop. Um, you know, if I could get one other Indigenous official to, to join just because it's a great opportunity for them to stay connected to football, um, that, that's a win. You know, a lot of people leave football and go into coaching because they want to be involved and, and, and be connected. Coaching takes a lot of time. Being an official, it, it's your three hours, it's your prep time beforehand, and, and you're, you're done and you're able to carry on. You know, you don't have to go watch all the film and prepare to practice for the next week. You just get ready for your next game. Um, football has given me a lot of, a lot of opportunities and it's provided a lot of things for my family to participate in sports. They take those football checks and, and we use them for everything we need, uh, to help my, my kids and, and other people do, uh, sports activities and, and whatever's needed, right? So I, I can't thank football enough. I can't thank sport enough for, for allowing a, a little Indigenous kid from the North End to, to go run around on a soccer field or a football field or a rugby field. And, you know, like Kevin said, the only thing that mattered was the color of the shirt that you're wearing on your back. Uh, like Amy says, nothing about us without us. Those are, those are great things, great slogans, great things that people should be talking more about. Um, and, and as a football official, I look at it the exact same way. People aren't mad at me. They're mad at the shirt that I'm wearing. And, and, and that's fine. I, I can wear that. And I understand that. And I'll take great pride again at the end of the month, announcing some penalties. Hopefully there won't be a lot, but, uh, but I'll take great pride in that. And, and, you know, the drumming before the game, the, the ceremonies that they go through, uh, everything building up to it, uh, will make for another amazing event uh, here in Winnipeg at the end of the month. And I, I thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. No, we thank you uh, for speaking, all three of you. Uh, it's been really important. Uh, you mentioned those T-shirts, the Diversity Strength T-shirts that uh, came out were a conversation starter. We're hoping to continue that conversation. And so that's not a one-off. That's why we've done five of these Diversity Strength conversations this year. We've done them in previous years. For more of that content, if you enjoyed this, head to cfl.ca slash DIS. Uh, it is a conversation that we don't want to just have around times when these topics are trending. We want to continue them, but we also hope our listeners continue to have this as a conversation starter. Take this away, have conversations with people in your life, in your family, on your teams, and spread uh, this content as well, because that's exactly why we have it. And and use the end of the month, uh, National Truth and Reconciliation Day here in Canada, not like most of our civic holidays, as a day where you don't have to work, but a day where you do the work, where you listen, you learn, you reflect, uh, you engage, and hopefully from that you better understand. So thank you so much for listening on behalf of Kevin Hart and Amy Shipley and uh, 
Brian Krupolo, I'm Donovan Bennett, and this has been the Diversity Strength Conversation on Sirius XM Canada Talks Channel 167.